How many of you are familiar with the work of Dr. Brene Brown? Okay, I see quite a few hands. Uh, she's a research professor at the University of Houston who spent almost two decades studying courage and empathy. Now that sounds pretty good. But she also has spent two decades studying vulnerability and shame. That doesn't sound so good necessarily. But She's found they're actually deeply connected. If you're looking for a quick introduction, you can Google her TED Talks. Both of them are quite amazing and worth revisiting if you've been a while since you've seen them. Over the past few years, she's written three best-selling books, The Gifts of Imperfection, Daring Greatly, and Rising Strong. Part of that, the gifts of imperfection, as you've heard, many of you have heard me say before, you are already saved from perfection, right? There is no perfect. So since there is no perfect, what are the gifts of imperfection? Because that's all we're left with. She's distilled it into be you, all of you. And daring greatly, what, we all have limited finite time. So she says what daring greatly looks like is be all in. Whatever you decide to spend your limited, finite time on, be all in. And what rising strong means, back to that whole imperfect thing, whatever we do go all in in, we're eventually going to stumble or fall in some various ways. So she says, know that you're going to fall, and when you do, get up and try again. Her latest book is Braving the Wilderness, The Quest for True Belonging and the Courage to Stand Alone. She actually has a fifth book scheduled for publication next month, but it's not published, so I haven't read it, so we're going to leave that for the future. But for now, I'd like to invite us to spend a few minutes reflecting on this idea of what does true belonging look and feel like, and how do we cultivate the courage to stand alone? I had no way of knowing, of course, that when I scheduled myself months ago to preach on this topic, that it would be so deeply relevant to current events. We're living in the midst of a case study in the courage to stand alone in the person of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, who has bravely offered to share her story about why a current Supreme Court nominee should not be confirmed. This moment is also a prime time to revisit Anita Hill's uh, important 1998 book, Speaking Truth to Power. As the updated blurb for that book reads, 26 years before the Me Too movement, Anita Hill sparked a national conversation about sexual harassment in the workplace. She very much had the courage to stand alone and did make a difference and is making one. Regardless of what happens in the case of Judge Kavanaugh, this story is yet one more reminder of this culture of toxic masculinity that we are immersed in and that we're all called to be a part of dismantling. And Dr. Brown's work around courage and vulnerability, shame and empathy is one of many potential paths towards a better, healthier, more equitable future for us all. So as a way into Brown's perspective around belonging, I want to start with a common experience that many people say after attending a Unitarian Universalist congregation or after reading our seven UU principles for the first time or hear eight principles. Uh, We often hear people say, I've always been a UU, but I didn't know it. It's not true of everyone's experience. Some people have grown up UU, or other people find that Unitarian Universalism generally, or a UU congregation in particular, is right for them at certain points along their journey, but not at others. 
That was true in my experience. I attended a, the UU congregation in Greenville, South Carolina a few times during college. I attended the UU congregation in Fort Worth, Texas a few times during seminary for a confluence of reasons that I think part of it was me, part of it was them. Had We weren't the right match at the time. It wasn't where I needed to be. Uh, But I do think that Brown is correct that underneath what led me to visit both of those congregations and what eventually led me through the door here at the right time to the UU congregation of Frederick is the desire to be part of something larger than myself. Maybe some of you can identify with that. You know, narcissism can be okay. It can get you a little distance, but it can also be really part of belonging to be part of something larger than yourself. Uh, But there's an important additional shift that Brown's work highlights, because true belonging, she invites us to consider, only really happens not only when we present our authentic and perfect self to the world, but also that ultimately our sense of belonging can never be greater than our self-acceptance. Our sense of belonging somewhere can never be greater than our self-acceptance. Those are challenging words, but what I actually really appreciate about that perspective is that it shifts our focus away from what we don't actually have that much control over, and that is what other people say and do. And it shifts our focus toward what we do have at least a little more control over, even if it's hard, and that is self-compassion toward ourselves. Now, don't get me wrong, self-acceptance, self-compassion, it's easier to talk about than to practice, but I appreciate the encouragement and reminder to try to start there. But before I go too quickly into the details of braving the wilderness, uh, seeking true belonging, finding the courage to stand alone, uh, allow me to spend just a little time on some counterexamples. After all, it's Important to be honest that for many of us, what gives us the courage to brave the wilderness uh, to, in our current is that often that our current situation has gotten bad enough that we're willing to go out into the wilderness because we are desperate enough to need something different. Specifically, Brown's research has found that when people feel like they don't belong in enough aspects of their life, they tend to respond in one of three ways. The first two aren't good. The third's what we're going for. Uh, The first is you live in pain and you seek relief by numbing it or inflicting it on others. So numbing it, drugs, TV, you know, whatever, uh, or inflicting it on others, right? I don't want to deal with my own pain, so I'm going to externalize it. I'm going to belittle you, so I don't have to, some of you have probably been on the receiving end of this. The second is to try to deny your pain, but that denial, that repression, she says, that guarantees that it will come out in twisted ways and you will inflict it on others. The third way is to find the courage to be real about the pain uh, in your life and to develop a level of empathy and compassion both for yourself and for others who you know are also experiencing pain and suffering. In a lot of ways, it's a fairly Buddhist worldview. Remember that first noble truth that suffering is real, right? To be alive is to experience suffering and unsatisfactoriness. And those first two strategies of numbing it out or repressing it don't tend to work well long term, either for yourself or others. As the writer Anne Lamont has said about her attempts to numb her suffering, she says that by the end, I was deteriorating faster than I could lower my standards. At such points, when you are nearing bottom, whatever bottom looks like for you, it's it's more important than ever to practice self-compassion and to seek a community larger than yourself in which other people are also seeking to bring their 
authentic, imperfect selves. It's also clear from Dr. Brown's latest book, which was published last year in 2017, that she's explicitly writing at certain points in response to the 2016 presidential election and the ways in which she knows this is affecting our culture and affecting individual people. She knows it is no small thing for such a time as this to challenge herself, to challenge us, to be courageous, to be vulnerable, to be self-compassionate, to be empathetic. But I think she's right that such practices have the potential to change us and to then ripple out to change the world. So for such a time as this, when our country is deeply divided in many ways, Brown has tried to distill the lessons that she's learned over almost two decades into four specific practices. That people are hard to hate close up, so move in. Speak truth to bullshit, be civil. Hold hands with strangers, and strong back, soft front, wild heart. I'll say a few words about each of these practices in turn. As I share about each of them in more detail, I would encourage you to try not to feel overwhelmed like I'm giving you four more things to do in your already busy life. Uh, instead, uh, see if one, maybe, maybe more than one, but does one in particular deeply resonate with you and say, that's actually what I need to focus on as like the next right thing for me in this season of my life. So first, Dr. Brown's research has shown that people are hard to hate close up, so move in. There's a lot to say here. Since I have limited time, I'll go straight to the top of quite a few people's lists. Speaking for myself personally, I will confess I have found it unhelpful over time to hate President Trump. And if I try to move closer, metaphorically speaking, right, don't send the Secret Service on me, uh, I can feel compassion for him. Remember what Brown said about those two common experiences to feeling all of a sudden like, I don't belong here. Like, I'm not fitting in. Uh, She says you can either seek relief by numbing it or you can try to repress it, but both of those tend to result in you inflicting pain on others. Um, And from what I can tell, if I try to move in, that um, President Trump has had an incredibly toxic childhood that has led to him inflicting pain on his children, on a series of wives, and now on the American public and the globe more largely. And although he is a famously a teetotaler in response in regard to alcohol, he constantly, it seems, is trying to numb himself by watching television and seeking affirmation and simultaneously multitasking by tweeting about it, you know, all day and late into the night. That's not great, right? (laughs) So for him or for us. And here's the important caveat. Feeling compassion for Trump or for anyone else in power doesn't mean that you think they should remain in power. Those are different things. But whereas hating someone eventually feels really toxic to my system. I don't know if you've ever... And it's different from being even angry, right? Angry, you know, you can really harness the power of anger in the work of love sometimes. But, but hatred, I think, is different. Like, it's really, it's quite toxic and poisonous. Um, feeling compassion for someone has, at least for me, allowed me to advocate for social change in a way that feels less constricted, less kind of brittle and, and rigid, and from a place that's freer And more aligned, I would invite you to consider with our UU first principle, which is difficult but important, which is the inherent worth and dignity of every human being, right? 
Uh, but Mr. Trump is both a clarifying and a difficult starting point for a more everyday practice. I appreciate this line from Dr. Brown. She says that if you find yourself suddenly in the middle of a difficult and uncomfortable conversation, she says the consistently most helpful and courageous thing she has found is three words. Tell me more. That's the best way she's found to experiment with that truth that people are hard to hate close up. Move in. Try to find out more. You know, I always think of this as the like, what happened to you question, right? Like, tell me more about the stories and the experiences that have led you to think that that seems so foreign to me. And let me tell you some about the stories and experiences that have led me to approach the world very differently. Uh, the second of Brown's four practices for such a time as this is also transparently born out of current events. Speak truth to BS. Along those lines, have any of you ever read, there's actually a great book by a philosopher named Frankfurt titled um, On BS, uh, stuff that's spelled out. It's by Princeton University Press. It's actually a 67-page essay that, that they then turned into a book form. So it's a little tiny book. I actually had to read it as an undergraduate philosophy major. It's really worth spending some time with that he really helps make clear the subtle but important distinction between merely lying and spinning BS. Uh, and for instance, some of you may be familiar with Alberto Brandolini's BS asymmetry principle, also known as Brandolini's law, and that is that the amount of energy that it takes to refute BS is an order of magnitude bigger than the energy it takes to produce it. And while that is true, Dr. Brown's research maintains the wisdom of speaking truth and being civil in response. It's not easy to do, but just Adding more BS to the fray, it's just, it's, it's not going to help us ever build the world that we dream about. And here's the more important point. Authentic, vulnerable people, their stories and experiences remain deeply compelling, which is one reason you see so much fear and maneuvering in certain quarters about the potential testimony of Dr. Christine Ford. Because people know, despite the fake news, despite the BS, people being real and authentic and vulnerable about the truth of their experience remains deeply compelling. Brown's third practice is hold hands with strangers. And I know some of you have shared various experiences of how you're really not down with that. Like, that is a, that's a scary proposition. Uh, and uh, the, But the heart of this practice, I invite you to consider, actually is related to our UU seventh principle of the interdependent web of all existence. Uh, in a time when it can feel really easy for many of us to feel broken and fractured and alone and disconnected, our approach to other people, ourselves, and the world can actually radically be transformed if we shift from having that brokenness and that disconnection and that isolation, starting from that place is really different than starting from a place of, of fundamental existential felt sense of connection, of interdependence. That's what our UU Seventh Principle is about. The good news is that even when we feel alone and can't feel that, the deeper truth is we are always already connected to each other. In Dr. King's words, we are caught 
in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny, even when we feel alone, even when we feel lonely. It remains true that whatever affects one directly affects all of us indirectly. He concludes, I can never be what I ought until you are what you ought to be, and you can never be what you want to be, ought to be until I am what I ought to be. That is that deep truth of the interdependent web. Finally, Brown's fourth practice is strong back, soft front, wild heart. That, this mantra is inspired by the Buddhist teacher Joan Halifax, who writes that all too often our so-called strength, it comes from fear, not love. Instead of having a strong back, many of us have a defended front, shielding a weak spine. In other words, we move through the world and we're brittle and we're defensive, trying to conceal our lack of confidence. But when we strengthen our backs, metaphorically speaking, we can be flexible but sturdy. Then we can risk being soft and open. How can we give and accept care with a strong back and a soft front of compassion and move past fear into a place of genuine tenderness. She says, I believe it comes when we can be fully transparent, seeing the world clearly and letting the world see us. Some of you may know uh, Dr. Cornell West has a famous quote that justice is what love looks like in public and tenderness is what love looks like in private. And that's what Halifax is calling us to, is to that, that tenderness with one another. And that final piece of the mantra of wild heart is about what can happen when we shift from fear to love. Surprising transformations can happen if we just open ourselves to being surprised of what might arise in this present moment. If I'm really full, honest and vulnerable about what I'm feeling and open to you being honest and vulnerable about what you're feeling. So for such a time as this in our world and in this particular season of your life, I invite you to consider, does one or more of Brown's four practices particularly resonate with you? That people are hard to hate close up, so move in. Who do you need to say, tell me more to? Because I don't understand where you're coming from. Tell me more about your experiences. Tell me some stories about your life. Who do you need to still be civil to, to speak truth to BS? Hold hands with strangers. Where do you need to cross that divide and build some bridges that don't currently exist? Or where do you need to experiment with strong back, soft front, and that wild heart that is open to being surprised? The promise of these and other practices like them is to help us experience a deeper sense of true belonging that we might then be ready to act with courage whenever the wilderness presents itself. And the wilderness will always present itself in various different forms. For now, I'll leave you with one final quote from Dr. Brene Brown. She says, stop moving through the world looking for confirmation that you don't belong. Because if you do that, you'll find confirmation that you don't belong. She says, stop scouring people's faces for evidence that you're not enough. Because if you make that your goal, you'll find it. You'll succeed. She says, true belonging and self-worth, they're not goods to be bartered about. We don't negotiate their value in the world. The truth about who we are, it lives or doesn't live in our heart. And our call to courage is to protect our wild heart against constant evaluation, especially from ourselves. 
no one belongs here more than you. Another way of phrasing this insight is the question of, are you finding yourself identifying in or do you find yourself identifying out? Whether here at UCF, relationships at home, relationships at work or elsewhere, do you tend to look for all the ways you're different and don't belong or do you tend to look for the ways in which, yeah, I, can, I, I, I actually identify with this. This is the piece I can get on board with. Both tendencies have value and are important to honor, but at least for this morning, I invite you to consider the wisdom that Dr. Brown is putting before us. She says that our call to courage is to protect our wild heart against constant evaluation, especially from ourselves. No one belongs here more than you. That also means, of course, no one belongs here less than you, Right? But the core question remains, what might change for you? What might change for your relationships with others if you started from a place of a core conviction that no one, no one belongs here or any place more than you? Do you know that wherever you go, there you are? How do you bring that with you wherever you are, that no one belongs here more than you?